In this episode, I will talk to you about why it's been so long since I've made an episode and also looking forward to teaching in a mask. Maybe looking forward's not exactly the right way to put that. Looking ahead to potentially teaching language in a mask. So let's go. Well, alrighty, it's been like forever since I made a podcast episode, and you might guess why. Let's just think. I believe my last podcast episode, let's just go look. Um, my last podcast episode was episode 28. It was published on February the 27th, 2020 at 10.19 a.m. Pacific Coast time. It was all about the introduction to the opinion and argument cycle, which we had just finished up. It was fantastic. February 27th, I finished up the opinion and argument cycle, or we were just getting it finished up. We were launching it to Curriculum Club. It was swell. What a wonderful time. That was the end of the cycles and everything was ready to go. All the curriculum was done for the entire year. Woo! Yay! And then about two weeks later, like everything went down the tubes. So I had to like rethink everything. So none of the stuff that I had made um, for the opinion and argument cycle like was optimized or even made with the intention of putting it online. I used to think that teaching online was something that, you know, strange people did who like didn't enjoy being with real people in real life. Maybe that's true, but I don't think it really is because you know what? Like we're all strange now. We're all like looking for ways to teach online because, well, we just survived the spring that was. Maybe the less said about that, the better. Um, and we're heading into the fall that will be. Now, we don't know what the fall will be. Honestly, we don't know. If your school district is saying, oh, we're going back, no big deal, you might take that with a grain of salt, like a rather big one. I mean, who knows? Maybe you will be back in school, but you might not be. So anyway, all spring, I first just cried a lot. Then I just kind of sat on the sidelines because I was thinking, hmm, gosh, the whole world has changed right out from under me. And all I know how to do is teach in person. And I don't have a classroom right now. And so I'm not going to be teaching online. So I guess I'll just wait and see what all's going down. And then I noticed there was like the great spring of 2020 teacher bonanza giveaway of free things. So I was like, well, everybody's getting free things. Maybe they don't want anything else. Maybe they don't need anything else. And anyway, all these free things are going to take them a long time to digest and process. If they haven't used all these amazing free things before, they're going to have to learn all about them. So I just sat out for about a week and a half or two weeks, but I'm not really like a sitting out kind of gal. So as I was sitting out, I was watching questions that people were asking and there was a lot of panicking going on. There was also a lot of like crickets being heard on, you know, your social media platforms. My well, I hesitate to say it's my favorite platform. I kind of don't like Facebook, but I spend a lot of time on there because of teacher stuff. So my most frequently used, let's just say that, platform of Facebook um, was pretty quiet. And I was like, dang, man, COVID killed Facebook. It's kind of springing back to life now, though. So I just think everybody was just super overwhelmed. So I was just watching and thinking like, 
I need to wrap my mind around this because this is the biggest thing that's happened to the teaching profession since, I don't know, Socrates had to drink that hemlock. Don't ask me. It seemed like a really huge thing. And it was. It pretty much made us all have to like reconfigure our curriculum to go online. And since I didn't have my own class to experiment with, I decided that I would just teach a French class, like online to teachers, but it was still online. And I taught some of the French classes. So I just sold this series of French classes. And some of them were synchronous, which means that you're, you know, online, but right there with the people in real time. And some of them were asynchronous, which is a vocabulary word that many of us did not know before the spring of 2020. However, through the power of repetition of this comprehensible and for most of us quite compelling input, I say compelling because it was basically like changing our whole life. So something that's changing your entire life, it tends to be compelling. So we got a lot of input on that term asynchronous, but if you have had your uh, mind on other things for the last six months, then let me just tell you that asynchronous is when you are teaching online, but you're not with the people in real time. It's kind of like educational children's programming, but with an interactive feature, because like you're making the programming, then the children are going to interact with it, and then you're going to come back and double check their work, which is something that like, you know, Sesame Street and Teletubbies don't really do. They don't check up on your work. So I did those classes. I did 10 classes. Um, five of them were from the description cycle. So cycle one. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to review the first podcast episode from last year. Um, what are the cycles and phases? So anyway, I did five lessons from cycle one, which is description, and five lessons from cycle two, which is narration. And I did a uh, portfolio assessment of sorts after the description and also after the narration. And you know what I realized? Like, it's actually kind of fun teaching online. Like, a lot of things that I thought weren't true about teaching online just weren't, weren't true, which is to say they were true. So I thought that teaching online meant that you were not going to be able to elicit very much information from the class and make it personalized and make it like a community building experience. But that was wrong. I realized pretty quick with the French class that if you put up some kind of, um, like I was using Padlet, if you put up some kind of picture on Padlet and get people to vote um, and then ask them to chat you um, and tell you like their reasons, even if they're telling you their reasons in English, then you can take that information and turn it right around and talk about it in the lesson. If it's synchronous, if it's asynchronous, you can, in one lesson, ask students to respond to something and leave you a little note in English or the language, depending on their level. Um, but even for the upper levels, usually you get better information if you let them talk in English or type in English, because, you know, they have more English than they have, like, whatever language you're trying to teach them. Not trying. Succeeding. Anyway, you can ask them in one lesson to, you know, type in their responses or give you some information. And then you can use that even in an asynchronous lesson to incorporate their ideas. Something else that I kind of like cobbled together slash discovered slash invented slash made up um, slash pulled out of my ear was to have them 
well, I had learned this from Nissa to have them like, instead of card talk, do slide talk. So that means I set up like a slideshow and I, I shared the editable version of the slideshow with my class. And they were able to like pick one of the slides and put up some pictures and maybe write some things in French or English and put their name on there. So even in an asynchronous class, well, this would usually need to happen like before class. So it's like homework or prep for the students to get these pictures to you. Now, if everybody doesn't get me a picture, I'm not really going to go ballistic because guess what? Like, it's just so that we have something to talk about. Like making the slideshow is not the work. The work is listening, understanding, and processing the language. So in the actual class, um, you would just go through the slideshow and you can talk about whatever the student said in response to whatever question. Now, a lot of us think of card talk as like, what do you like? And for the very beginning of the year, that's a pretty decent thing um, to ask students. But I find honestly, like even in the beginning of the year, sometimes students are a little hesitant to just respond to like the totally open-ended, what do you like? And I think it's because they're a little worried that like their peers are going to say something cooler than them. So I have found that it really calms my students down if I just say like, what sport do you like to play or watch? Or what sport do you hate? And that way, like everybody's talking about sports. And so then we like have a few parameters for the kids and they're not quite so nervous. Um, I came up with this awesome way to use their slide talk, like by putting it in Canva and manipulating it inside of Canva. Um, I don't have time to go into that now, but it was rad. Um, I also learned how to do a one word image online and do write and discuss online. And I came up with several different options to do write and discuss online. So all that said is basically if it came to teaching online next fall and that was all I was doing, I would actually be looking forward to it. This has been one of the most creative periods of my whole, quite creative up till now anyway, life. Um, it's been really fun to take all the things that I enjoy doing with students in the real classroom. Well, not that online is not a real classroom. We need to stop thinking like that. Um, but in the physical classroom, the things I always enjoy doing with students and kind of reconfiguring them for the online learning environment. It's been super fun. And I'm pretty darn confident, so confident, in fact, that I'm working to make this whole entire free curriculum um, in a whole bunch of different languages because I'm insane. No, not exactly. I mean, that might be up for debate, but I just really want to help. And I saw so many people drowning and like having so many questions. Um, and it was actually becoming pretty like clear and simple to me because I'm a kind of clear and simple gal. Like, my brain is a, a difficult place to live sometimes. It, it just has a hard time focusing on one thing and I'm always getting new ideas and stuff like that. So I thought, well, I need to make something that's like idiot proof. And by idiot proof, I mean Tina proof. So I need to make something that's so idiot proof that like I can log on, open up a couple windows and know exactly what I'm going to teach that day and not have to think about it. So just like the daily framework had, you know, made my life in the physical classroom a lot easier, um, developing, like kind of reconfiguring the daily framework online helped my online teaching um, become a lot easier too. Is it just as easy? No. Is it just as flexible? No. Is it just as fun and personalized? No. But it is satisfying.
it's really satisfying to take something that used to feel like really super daunting and like I didn't know like jack squat about it, which I didn't. And it was. So it was super daunting and I didn't know jack squat, but it's really satisfying to take something that was like that and make it something that I like tamed and made possible for it to not freak me out. So teaching fully online next year, synchronous, asynchronous, I wouldn't have any questions about it. I wouldn't have any problems with it. It's the classroom that scares me. Because if you have to go back into the classroom and there's so much danger out there in the form of like, you know, potentially deadly viruses that nobody has any immunity to, um, while you're surrounded by like a whole bunch of your little friends um, who we know don't always practice the most perfect personal hygiene and the younger they are the worse that is. Or maybe the older they are, the worse that is, because they're at like face level then. Well, I don't know who's worse, but there's just going to be a lot of them. And some of us are going to have to do online slash in-person. Oh my goodness. I can't believe they're letting the people who come to school become more like consumers. What are we? Like the Netflix of education? It's like, we'll send you a CD in the mail, or you can do it streaming. You can get this plan. You can get that plan. Oh my word. Like teaching in the classroom with those little darlings around like two years ago, just normal was hard enough. So this year you're faced with the possibility of potentially teaching online some of the time and in person some of the time or doing both simultaneously. But regardless, whenever you're in the classroom, I hope that even if your school doesn't mandate it, that you will take some kind of measures to put on some type of PPE which is another term we didn't know. That means personal protective equipment, children. Um, that you'll put on some kind of personal protective equipment um, to protect yourself and potentially your students, but mostly yourself because they're not listening to this podcast. They're not my friend. It's you I care the most about. I mean, of course, I love your students, but I've never met them. Well, come to think of it, I kind of never met you either. Or maybe I have, but even if I haven't, you're listening to me, so... Thanks for that. Anyways, I'm worried about you going back into the classroom and breathing that air. So I would highly recommend that you have some kind of PPE. If it was me, honestly, I would have on a paper mask covered up by like some kind of face shield and potentially also be inside one of those bubble things. Like, I'm serious. I don't want to get this virus. Or spread it. So anyway, if you're teaching in a mask, I recommend that you rethink the way you interact with the students in the classroom. So a long, well, not a long time ago, but several years ago, which seems like a long time ago now. I mean, heck, my last podcast episode on, um, let's just check that, February 27th, 2020 at 10, 19 a.m. Seems like a lifetime away at this point. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? And it's only half over. So anyway, if I went back into the classroom, I would think of it as a combination between in-person teaching and asynchronous online teaching. So a few years ago, there was this idea of the flipped classroom. Now, most of the language teachers who were like flipping their classroom were doing it in order to teach grammar. I didn't see a whole lot of flipped language teacher classrooms like focusing on CI, but I think it's time for that to change. So what I would do if I was going back in the classroom is I would pre-record my videos. Um, I would sit at home and like 
pre-record myself speaking without a mask and, you know, maybe a picture of myself, like, you know, the, with the camera on, maybe not. Cause I will be there in the classroom. Like I can use my body and I would experiment. Now this is all kind of fresh squeeze thoughts. Okay. So I don't have any examples to show to you, but I would experiment with what kind of pauses and scaffolding could I put in this video of me that would allow me to convey to the students most of the information in class just using my body language. So it wouldn't exactly be that they're watching this video like in the quote, quote, flipped classroom way. It would be that they are watching me <laughs> at home preparing this lesson. Um, if I taught French one, two, three, and four, I would do one video for French one and two and one video for French three and four. And as you work on this, you could like play around with how, you know, what, what makes the best kind of video for like three and four, especially three and four, because, you know, by the time they get to the fourth year, like their language development is kind of like a snowball and it's like picking up speed. And so those fourth year kids might need a little bit like more stuff. That's kind of like Easter eggs you put into the video, um, that the threes wouldn't be able to like handle. And I could even see like pre-planning, like this part I will skip. So maybe even like holding up like a red piece of paper, like to just kind of cover the screen for like 15 seconds or something like that, like to signal to yourself, like future in the classroom, you, that it's time for you to like stop and like forward um, so that your threes wouldn't get overwhelmed by the stuff that was intended for the fours. Um, then every single day in my classroom, after I watched this video, during which I wasn't speaking, I was simply pointing to the um, screen. Um, every single day after that, I would like replay the video and give the students a graphic organizer so that they could silently fill out the graphic organizer after they've watched it with me like pointing to it. I would do this every day. Then after that, um, I would do like write and discuss, but I would try to find some way to make write and discuss like a pretty silent experience without me having to like do the discuss with my students. So I would have them use some kind of one-to-one -one technology where we're like kind of all in the same like chat room or we're all on the same Google doc or something like that so that I could say like, I could type in English if I needed to. Give me your suggestions for the next line. What is the, you know, problem that the character had or something like that? And then I could sit back and let them like give me some ideas or maybe use whiteboards or probably not whiteboards because like the COVID. Um, in fact, I don't know how your one-to-one -one devices would work if you only had like one cart of them in your classroom. I might not use those. I might ask them to get out their own personal piece of paper. <laughs> um, so anyway, I would do like a pre-recorded video. And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but it's a lot less work than having to like fiddle for the angle with your mask every day. So I would sit at home and maybe on like Sundays, I would record like one video for my beginners and intermediate lows and then one video for my kind of upper level kids. And I would make those videos for every class, I would make them about 15 or 12 minutes long. During the video, while I was showing it to them in class, I would pause it and have them do some kind of like writing. So if I was really like technologically savvy, I would put like a card 
um, like a title page inside my video, but you might not want to get that crazy. Um, if you're doing a screencast, you could just have like an image that you go over to that says like, I'm going to pause this video for, for three minutes now and you're going to write. Your job is to write silently the whole time. If I had a block class, I would just put more things inside the video that I don't have to say to my students. All I have to do in real time is monitor them. I think that if I have time, I'm going to make you some videos that you can speak over. I also want to let you know that if you're in curriculum club, I'm making all these videos called um, video lectures or do-it-yourself movie talk. I'm making these to align to like all of the different lessons that are in the free Padlet. So if you're in curriculum club, everything I make, even if it's going to be sold to like go with the Padlet. Um, and if you're not paying for the Padlet, don't worry. Everything you need is on the Padlet. These are just extra things that you might want to use. So if you're in curriculum club, those are all going to be um, for free for you guys. So that's what I would do. I would record these little videos and I can even see like people kind of banding together, um, especially if you're using the cycles and the phases. If you're using the cycles and the phases, it certainly makes it easier for you to collaborate with teachers who teach other things in other states. So like if we're doing description, you could record two videos of yourself um, with this method of like stopping and ask, you know, and having the little like graphic that says to do something, you know, with the, with the information that they just heard um, about cycle one, phase one, which is describing a setting. If you did two of those, about two settings, or eliciting some information from the students, um, maybe on like, you know, their little pieces of paper that they're holding up or their like, you know, form that they're filling out online. Um, if you recorded two and your friend recorded two and somebody else recorded two, then there you would have all the things. And since that free curriculum's out there, people could go in there and actually use the same resources that you're going to have in the free curriculum. And if you're in Curriculum Club, you could go and look at that Padlet. Or if you went to Summer Institutes, you could go and look at the Padlet um, of resources from last year's Curriculum Club. And even though they were made for in-person teaching, they would be um, imminently adaptable um, to this application. So these are just some thoughts I have, right? Because nobody's gone back to school yet and nobody's been teaching in a mask yet. But this is what I would do. I would not think of myself as standing in front of the class and like relying on my body language with a mask on and my tone of voice with a mask on and my good humor with a mask on to, to save the day. I would rethink pretty much everything just like I did myself. I, and you probably did too. I rethought everything from the ground up when we had to go to do the online teaching. Now some of us are gonna do this strange hybrid model. So even if you're not a strange hybrid model, it's gonna be really different because you're gonna be wearing a mask and all this stuff that you never wore before. I hope, please wear your mask. So I would rethink what it means to be a language teacher in front of the classroom. And I would think about like bringing in other sources of input. If you teach Spanish, I would use a lot of the um, Pablo Roman, Dreaming Spanish. Um, if you teach French, I would use Alice Ayel, um, her YouTube channel. I don't think it has like an actual name. Um, if you teach German, I would look up We Love Deutsch by Kathleen Schechman. Um, if you teach Chinese, I would look up Diane Neubauer, N-E-U-B-A-U-E-R. Um, I would look up her YouTube channel. She has several stories in Chinese. Um, and I would really think about like making a co-op of teachers to help each other. And I would seriously recommend to you, not just because of this, but just to make collaboration easier for you in general, that you find other teachers 
and adopt yourself these cycles and phases of instruction. Like you don't have to go full Tina. You don't have to jump off like the cliff with all the other, you know, <laughs> lemmings who are doing this, not to call you lemmings. I think you're actually really smart, but um, you don't have to just jump right in and do everything. But if you could just say in the first like eight lessons, we're describing settings. In the second eight lessons, we're describing preferences. In the third eight lessons, we're describing um, people's interior and exterior qualities. And in the fourth eight lessons, we're talking about describing things now versus in the past. If you could arrange your curriculum like that, then you would find that you have a lot of potential collaborators among people who are using the stepping stones, cycles, and phases. So I know this has been a really long video, but I had a lot of catching up to do with you guys. And I would just like to say, we're all going to come through this one way or another. So hang in there and please check out the um, free curriculum because I'm only working so hard to make it to help you not stress because I think we've all stressed enough. All right. See you later.